All right, well, let's find Romans chapter 8. I've probably mentioned this before about that song we just sang, but anybody know when that was written? You think it was a newer hymn? No, that was written in the 1700s by John Newton. See, some of you are like, I wish we could sing more of the older hymns. <laughs> they don't go back too much farther than the 1700s, okay? We can go back a little bit longer than that, but not too much further than that. I love that song. Romans chapter 8 will be our text this morning. We're not going to, this week, get to where we're walking through the verses yet. Last week, we just began introducing this chapter, and I decided to do one more week of doing that, which really will turn into a time for us of reflection and thinking about the Holy Spirit and the fact that He is in us as God's people. This is what Paul wants the people to know. They need to understand this. We need to understand it that the Spirit is in us and how important that is for our lives and our ministries. Let's read the first eight verses. No, I'm sorry, first 11 verses, and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus... For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's just pause now and ask God's blessing on these verses. Father, I just ask now as we commit ourselves to the preaching and teaching uh, part of our worship service, that you would gift me by your Spirit to do this. 
give me a clarity and um, enable me to remember the things that you have shown me from your word and to, that I've thought about and I feel been led into by your spirit. I pray in these moments as I speak, he would be leading and guiding and helping. And I pray that he would be working in the hearts and lives of your people here uh, for our edification this morning as we need help in our lives and to live in this world. And so I'm praying for this, please, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Of course, we know by now, after studying seven chapters of Paul, that this letter to the Roman church is a letter that gives extensive details about the salvation that God has provided for His people in Jesus Christ. He gives extensive details about this salvation. He moves us beyond what might be considered a foundational or elementary principle of the fact that Jesus died for our sins. That, of course, is profound and wonderful. But it is really the entryway, the doorway into understanding more of the fullness of the gospel and what God has done through Jesus Christ for us in order to save us from our sins. And some of the things that Paul elaborates on in these chapters are things that we would not have known if he wouldn't have revealed them to us. Things like this, that our salvation is accomplished through the work of the Son, yes, but not only through the work of the Son, but through the work of the Holy Spirit. It was accomplished historically and in the past by the life and the death and the resurrection, all historical realities of the past in Jesus Christ, His Son for us. But he goes into more detail to show that now what you have is your salvation being fulfilled, moved forward, completed through Christ, but by His Spirit in you. Maybe you notice that even in these verses we just read that the reason we're not condemned, in part, he begins in verse 2, because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So Christ is there, and we're immediately thinking about the cross that we've been set free from, which he will go on to talk about in the next verse. But he's saying that you're not condemned, namely, in what he's talking about here, because now the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit himself, the life-giving spirit, has set you free from the law of sin and death. I don't know if you notice that or not. When he's talking about the fact that there is no condemnation to you, it is not only the Son that he talks about, but it is also the Spirit of God. We need to know that. We need to know that 
we worship and serve a God of triunion. The triune God simply means three, that is tri, and unity. The three in one. Three equally divine persons in the one Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that all three persons working in accordance with the one will of God have each done things and are doing things to secure your salvation. Paul unfolds this in Ephesians chapter 1 where he explains that the Father before Time began before the foundation of the world, chose us in Christ and predestined us to adoption as sons. And that when the t- fullness of time came, the Son came and provided redemption through His blood. That's the historical cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have, according to Paul in Ephesians 1, the forgiveness of sins. And when you believed, he goes on to say in that same chapter, in Ephesians chapter 1, that you were sealed with the Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Spirit. All three persons of the Godhead, in one will and one desire to save us, have acted in eternity past all the way through in order to save us. And what Paul is doing here is he's focusing not on the work of the Son, though it is all made possible through the work of the Son, and nothing, no salvation comes to us except through the work of the Son, it is now time to focus on the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us because of whom there is no condemnation to us. I fear that in our conservative circles, the Spirit of God is not spoken about enough. There are reasons for this, partly because in history there has been a divide that has been brought about in Christian circles between those who would be considered charismatic or Pentecostal in nature and those who are not, the rest of us, and the, those within the charismatic circles have given an emphasis to the working of the Spirit. And I say this with humility to anybody in here who is of that background. I feel a wrong emphasis in many ways, and I could possibly explain that in a few minutes if I so feel inclined. But what has happened, perhaps, is often happens in Christianity is there's this pendulum that swings. It goes from one dramatic extreme to the other dramatic extreme. Christians in our circles who are so conscientious of the fact that we don't want to be labeled charismatic, we almost forget about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like we don't want to talk about it or think about Him within us. That's one reason. That's one thing that has happened. It is also true, though, that the Spirit Himself has, as one of His roles, to glorify the Son so that when He comes, Jesus said, He will glorify Me. This is how you know He's working. You will see 
Christ-centeredness because we are not commanded to trust in the Holy Spirit for our salvation. We are commanded to trust in Christ. So an undue emphasis now on the Spirit is not good because the Spirit where He's working is glorifying the person and work of the Son. That's often why you can walk through the book of Romans, go through seven chapters, almost halfway through this letter, the Spirit up until chapter 8 has only been mentioned two times, I think, and just hinted at, just alluded to until chapter 8. But we must remember the Spirit of God is in us, and that is supposed to change everything for us. We can be a Christ-focused people, but a Spirit-conscious people at the same time. Because what Paul teaches in Romans 8 is that if you have the Spirit of Christ, you have Christ. And if you have Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ. If you don't have both of those, in other words, you don't have either of those, you see. So Paul wants the people of God, he wants you and me to be spirit conscious. Be aware of this. Be aware of what is happening in you. What is God is doing by His Spirit in you. Because it affects everything. We don't want to be like the disciples in Ephesus before there was officially an Ephesian church. You remember this in Acts chapter 19. Paul arrives there and he finds some disciples. And he asks them, did you receive the Spirit, Holy Spirit, when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. May that not be the case in our church. There is a Holy Spirit. And if you have believed in Jesus Christ in a true and saving way, you've received the Holy Spirit. He is in you, dwelling in you, enlightening you, leading you, empowering you to live for God. Jesus said that in John, in John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus about the necessity of being born again by the Spirit of God. And he uses a little play on words in John chapter 3. The, the Greek word for wind and spirit in the Greek and the Hebrew, interestingly enough, is the same. It's the same word... Uh, for wind or spirit, so you actually have to, or breath even, you just have to look and see what the context is. And in speaking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he says this, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. His ministry within us is invisible. But you can see his effects in the life. That's the point. On a breezy day, you don't see the wind, but you hear the rustling of the leaves in the trees. It's the same with the Spirit. We 
don't see him, but he is there, and those born of him will have the effects of his presence in their life. Paul asked the Corinthian church this, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now, I can remember as a kid memorizing this verse. Any kid that grew up going into a church with any kind of kids program at one time or another probably had to memorize this verse and it is something it's one of those verses that as you've known it so long it starts to lose i think the effect it's supposed to have i mean think about this christian did you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Where temple is purposeful from Paul because whether you had lived in Corinth or in Jerusalem, whether you were Jew or Greek made no difference. Religions had temples. And the temples were the places of worship, but most importantly, they were the places where God's dwelt where God's resided. And Paul is saying, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you this. Getting up in the morning and beginning your day, whatever it is you've got to do, do you think it might make a difference in what you do? in how you live, in how you respond to people, in how you think, right down to your attitudes for that day. Do you think it might make a difference that if each day you reminded yourself, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He is with me. He is in me at all times. No wonder Paul calls the church holy ones. You're saints. You're set apart. And one of the things that sets you apart from everyone else is that in you, as you go about your day, as you go about your business, as you interact with your family, as you go to work, go to school, whatever it is, the Spirit is in you, you see. The Spirit of life, the Spirit of Christ dwelling within you. You see, that's what Paul in chapter 8 of Romans is wanting to do. He's wanting to remind us of this because we need to be reminded of this. We need to remember the Spirit in us, and the work of the Spirit in us. Up until chapter 8, we learned much about the work of the Son, Jesus, for us in time past. 
We have learned how He provided salvation through His work on the cross, dying for our sins, becoming a propitiation for us, redeeming us from sin's penalty. How through the cross and resurrection, He's broken the power of sin in our lives. We've learned that our faith rests uniquely in His work on our behalf and that we we trust, when we trust in Him, we are justified. But in chapter 8, we learn more about our salvation. And the focal point in chapter 8 is not the Son. It is the Holy Spirit in us. Did you notice, last week we read all 17 verses of chapter 8. And in those first 17 verses, the Spirit is mentioned 14 times. Remember what we said before, whenever you have a word, a theme mentioned like that so many times in a passage of Scripture, it becomes the theme of the passage of that Scripture, or a theme. The Spirit, over and over again, almost in every sentence, I'm teaching you, says Paul, about the Spirit now in your life. The Spirit of, the li- of life or the Spirit of Christ who dwells with us, within us enables us to live a life worthy of the gospel, to live righteously, to conquer indwelling sin, to obey the law of God, to be witnesses for His name. It's so important for us Christians to understand that God has not only done for us externally or outside of us in time past through Jesus what is it? necessary in order to save us, but is now doing internally the work that is needed to be done and empowering us for the new life in Christ. Now, it's all attached to Christ in His work. If you'll look back just for a moment at chapter 6, he says in these first four verses, he says, "'What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound?' By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now what he's explaining in chapter 8 is that the walking in the newness of life is done By the Spirit who dwells in you. That's how you're going to be enabled and empowered to live out Romans 6. He is the Spirit of life who has granted this new life to you when you were born again. And He's the Spirit of life that empowers you now to walk in the new resurrection life. This new life that we were commanded to do. See how it's connected to the cross. We're not not chopping this up in so many pieces that the work of the Son and the Spirit are different. No, they go together, you see. And from the work of the Son flows the work of the Spirit within His people. Back in chapter 8, he uses this phrase that we'll look at more carefully next week. But he uses this phrase in verse 4, He says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are people who walk according to the Spirit. You know that word simply means 
well, it could mean literally walk, but it means here metaphorically the way in which we live our lives, the way in which we conduct ourselves. And we as Christ's people are to be people who walk now by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit. Now, my question for us is this, how conscious are we of the Spirit's presence and power in our, listen, our daily life? You see how practical Romans 8 is? This is practical. This is about your life. This is about how you live every day. This is how you walk in this world is by the Spirit. This is not impractical, uh, deep theology that isn't going to affect how we live. No, this affects everything. All of your relationships, all of how you work, all day long, all through the week. This is your life now. Your life is walked by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. How conscious of we are uh, of that. I can confess that oftentimes I'm not very conscious of it. That I can lose a spirit consciousness. But how essential it is to have it. You know, I think it's possible for Christians to really kind of forget about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We can become somewhat natural in our daily walk. What do I mean by that? Paul makes a big deal about this in his letter to the Corinthians. And there is a naturalness that every human has. Every human being this, this week will go out and live their lives as a human being. And they will eat and they will drink and they will sleep and they will go to work and they will interact with people. They'll do all those things in a very natural way. But what Paul is saying is we are not natural people. We are spiritual people. So the way in which we do all those things is different, you see. It's by the Spirit. This is why it's so important that we don't just become spiritual people from 10 to about 11.30 every Sunday. And then we walk out the doors as very natural people living naturally like everyone else does, setting our minds on the natural things that everyone else sets their minds upon. We are to live our entire lives conscious of, under the influence of, led by, powered by the Holy Spirit of God. Have you thought about the Holy Spirit in you today? I love our, the songs we sing here. And we just sang one earlier, right before I got up to read Scripture, that concluded with a triune praise to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. See, if you don't have that triunity, you don't have the true gospel. If you don't have Father, Son, and Spirit, you don't have the true gospel. So, we need these things in. In one way, just a practical way that I've incorporated in my morning liturgy in order to stay conscious of the three persons of the Godhead and thinking about, in this context this morning, talking about the Spirit, is to sing 
one of the Gloria Patries that you can find. Like this one. Now, I'm not going to sing it. But I'll begin off in my prayer time like this, or my beginning of my worship time, before I've even read scriptures, just to tune my heart. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. Ever three and ever one, as it was in the beginning, now and evermore shall be, you see. And immediately I'm conscious of the fact of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. You know, friends, if you are struggling with sin and temptation in such a way, and we walk through Romans 7 and we all go through these seasons, but if you are struggling with sin and temptation in such a way that sin and temptation seem to be the ruling force in your life, by that I mean this, you just can't seem to get control of a sin or particular sins. The problem could be as simple as this. You do not understand the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It's like what you need is the Spirit Himself to just shine a light into your mind and heart of his own presence. Like you need him to flip a switch so that it can dawn on you maybe for the first time or maybe once again as a reminder, the Spirit is in me. That's the answer. That's the answer to Romans 7. That's Christians, remember, key that unlocked the dungeon in Doubting Castle. We need to be conscious of the fact that God's Spirit resides in us and we need to, be, to know that one of His roles in our salvation is to empower us to overcome our sinfulness right down to our attitudes. We need to learn what it is to, as Paul says, be being filled now with the Holy Spirit so that he, His power is the dominating power within our hearts and minds. That it is His influence that is exerting the control over what we do and what we say and what we think and how we feel. Did you know, friends... And through the aid of one author I read this week in his work on the Holy Spirit, which is just excellent, Sinclair Ferguson, I was reminded of this fact. Did you know that Jesus lived his entire life according to the Holy Spirit? Jesus was not a superhuman. He was not a Thor half God, half human. Isn't it Thor, half God? I don't know. Maybe not. He's not one of these demigods. He was a very natural man. Conceived of a woman and born of a woman as a baby. 
and lived as a human being. But what set Jesus apart and what enabled him to obey God's law, not just externally, but internally, from the heart, what conformed his life, I'm talking about from conception on, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in him. He was a spirit-filled human being. This is why every Christmas we make a big deal about that miraculous uh, virgin conception. How did it take place? By the Holy Spirit. So that from the beginning, and Matthew and Luke both record this, I mean from the very conception, we have a spiritually unique one here. He would be holy in everything he does. He was born into this world with the Spirit of God. He would obey God's word by, his, by the power of the Spirit within him. The Spirit, of course, visibly at his baptism 30 years after his birth, descends on him like a dove, anointing him for his ministry. And that unique anointing he went about doing, not in his own power, but friends, by the power of the Spirit. He was truly a Spirit-filled and Spirit-led and Spirit-empowered man. And what Romans 8 is teaching us is that you as a follower of Christ have, listen to this, the same Spirit in you that Christ had in Him. This is why Paul calls Him the Spirit of Christ in verse 9. The Spirit of Christ that is conforming you to be like Christ as you learn to walk by the Spirit. How do we learn to be like Christ? By the Spirit. How do we live like Christ? By the power of the Holy Spirit within us. This is what sets us apart from the whole rest of the world. This is why he said, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't have Christ. And you're not a true Christ follower. Because true Christ followers follow Christ by the Spirit of Christ within them. This is why, friends, in the upper room discourse, Jesus told his disciples, right before he goes across, he says, I'm going to send you another helper. The commentators have made a big deal about that word another. It means another of the same kind. <laughs> so that just as Paul said in verses 9 and 10, that to say that Christ is in you is to say the same thing that the Spirit is in you. Not that they're not distinct persons in the Godhead, but they go together in this, you see. He said, I'm going to send you another helper. He's going to be in you. And then after his resurrection, he gets his disciples together for 40 days. He spends with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then before he goes, he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, for the Spirit to 
descend on you now. As you have seen in me, so will happen to you now, my followers. You will receive the Spirit too. And that's what makes Acts chapter 2 such a big deal. The problem we have with Acts 2, what we read earlier, right? The day of Pentecost, there they are. Spirit descends on them. And the problem we have with it is because we immediately, what do we do? We immediately start looking at what are some odd peculiarities happening there. Tongues of fire and people speaking in tongues and Christians for centuries read that and get so distracted. The question becomes, should we be speaking in tongues or what is this? Well, let's focus on that. And this is what Christians are so notorious for. We major on the minors. We lose the forest through the trees. What Acts chapter 2 is showing is that the promise, the promise God made from Joel, the promise God made from Ezekiel, from many other passages through his prophets, the promise God made through Jesus Christ himself has now arrived. The promise of the Holy Spirit is now on all the disciples of Christ in a rich and lavish way. Now they too go about their lives, their ministries as Christ did by the power of the Spirit. They go about doing good and speaking truth and loving God with all their heart, soul, and mind and loving their neighbor as themselves. They become Christians. They become Christ followers of Jesus in this world. My prayer for me, for my family, and for this church is that God would give us a fresh anointing of His Holy Spirit. And by that I mean this, that we would be freshly reminded of His powerful presence in us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We would be reminded of His powerful work in us to live lives that truly please Him, that we don't have to stay stuck in the rut, that we would focus on the fruit of the Spirit that is to come from the people of God that is evidence of His indwelling presence. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That we would be a people who are freshly now, freshly invigorated by the Spirit Himself to learn what it is to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit just as Paul is going to teach us to do in Romans 8. Would you pray that prayer with me? Most, a lot of our people are gone, so this will be our little secret. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. We pray for everybody. I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's a good prayer, isn't it? 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Listen to this. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now hold on, because I know for some of you, you may read something like that and you say, well... I know lots of people that I admire their walk with God. Now you say, I know people, I know Christians that, man, they seem so close to God and walk in such peace and life and victory, but that's not for me. Christian, you understand that Paul prayed this for the entire congregation, even the bond servants that showed up, or the children he's going to mention in chapter 6. This is for you. We don't want to live the rest of our lives with this and come to the end and say, I've missed the Spirit and what could have been in me, through me. This is a prayer for you. I dare you to pray it in faith. Ask God that, say to God, I want these things. I want to live a life in the fullness of God. I want to experience the fellowship with the triune God. I want to love you as I ought to. I want to love others as I ought to. I want to be used in service to others. Do this for me, and then remember this last two verses. As you're praying it, remember what Paul says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Whatever you ask, whatever you're praying... He is able, see, to do far more abundantly than that, than even what you could imagine in your mind. You have no idea what God can do in your heart and life, what He does with people when finally it dawns on them and the Spirit takes control. They give the Spirit control. Everything changes from that point on. That's what I'm praying for our church. He's able to do it according to the power at work within us through His Spirit that we already prayed would strengthen us in His inner being. And to Him, all of this, let's pray all of this, friends, to the glory of God because to Him belong the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray now. Father, we boldly ask for You to give us what we have talked about this morning. Let your Spirit strengthen us in our inner being that we could see Christ's love for us and the Spirit's power in us. That combination in the heart and mind of a true believer is the potential with it is unimaginable for your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.